Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the rebuilding of Jerusalem as we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn at this time in our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8? Nehemiah has returned to Jerusalem some 90 years after the first return, some 160 years from the beginning of the Babylonian captivity. Babylon has been overthrown by the Medo-Persian Empire. Xerxes has become the king of Persia. Nehemiah was his cupbearer. And because of Nehemiah's obvious sadness in the presence of the king, something that was very unusual, the king questioned him on it, and he said it was because of the reports that he had heard concerning Jerusalem. The walls of the city were a rubble, the gates were burned with fire, the people were very discouraged. And so in 445 B.C., Artaxerxes gave the commandment to Nehemiah to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And he returned as an appointed governor over the area by Artaxerxes. And he encouraged the people in the building again of the walls of the city. And in spite of all of the obstacles, both from without and within, the Work was accomplished in record time, 52 days. They erected again the walls of the city of Jerusalem, even though Tobias, Sambalat, and others had conspired against them, brought commando raids against them and all. Still, they accomplished the work of God in 52 days. And there was a great celebration of the fact that they had finished the walls. Now as we get into chapter 8, and all the people gathered themselves as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon the pulpit of wood that had been made for that purpose, and beside him stood these other scribes, And Ezra, oh, don't think I'm going to try that. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with a lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, uh, we see this beautiful scene Uh, The people have gathered together in the area that was there near the porch gate, the street in front of it. 
Ezra is standing on a little pulpit of wood that has been made for him, and he stands on this and reads to the people, both men and women, who are standing there from morning until midday, he reads to them the law of the Lord. And they stand there listening attentively. About noon, after they had been there probably for five, six hours, listening to the word of God, he blesses the Lord, gives praise unto the Lord, and the people respond by lifting their hands and saying, Amen, Amen. Now the word Amen means so be it. So it is an acknowledgement of the blessing that Ezra had made. Let it be, let it be. And lifting their hands unto the Lord and then bowing their faces to the ground, they worshiped him. The Jews are rather demonstrative in their worship of God. It is interesting to go to the Western Wall to watch them. I don't know if it is a learned behavior or it's just something within them, but as they are reading their prayer book, they are constantly bowing. And as they get into it, their voices, they'll lift their voices higher and higher, and, and they seem to be moving even faster, you know, as, as, they, as they really get into their prayer book and reading their prayers and all. And then on Friday evening, the beginning of the Shabbat, the young men will come from the Hebrew school up in the upper part of the old city of Jerusalem, and they will come four wide, their arms around each other, and four wide, a group of them will come down singing songs of, of welcoming the Sabbath and singing songs into the Lord, sort of coming down with a little uh, kind of a dance step, and they will come on down into the area of the western wall, the large stone area there, and then they will start dancing as they are singing, and they'll get in a circle and go through all kinds of dances as they're singing and worshiping the Lord, and then when they're through, they lock arms and they go out with a little stutter step again back up to the school. But it is a very fascinating sight. And uh, it, it's, it's something that we always like to observe when we are there in Jerusalem, the Friday evening beginning of uh, the Sabbath and, and the worship of these people as their voices are lifted in praise unto the Lord. And as I say, they, they, some of them get very demonstrative in their worship, but it is always a very fascinating experience to see. Now here, if you can sort of close your eyes and picture it, Ezra has been reading to them out of the law of the Lord, and now about noon, he just blesses God, and the people all lift their hands and say, Amen, Amen, bowing their faces now. They bow down onto the ground. They begin to worship the Lord. Beautiful scene as the people are making now a commitment of themselves to the law of God, an acknowledgement of, of the law of God as the governing principles by which they are going to live. Now, as we read on, that as he read the law, 
there were certain of the Levites that caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. And they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave sense and caused them to understand the reading. I think that uh, there's a real key here, and I think that it is something that we need to make note of. That is that they read the word of God distinctly and then they caused them to understand the meaning. They actually expounded to them the scriptures. I feel one of the greatest needs in the church today is the reading of the word of God with the explanations. And expository preaching is probably the greatest need in the church today and yet it is amazing how little you'll actually find of the reading of God's word and then just the giving of the explanation. You don't know how many thousands of people there are all over the United States who would like to trade places with you tonight. And I, I have a difficult time understanding this because as far as I'm concerned, that's really what the church is all about. Learning the word of God, understanding what God's word has to say to us. You don't need to learn my philosophies or man's philosophies. You can go to the university and get that. What you need is to learn what God has declared about life and the meaning of life, the purpose of life, the reason for life, the way of life. And so this is what they were doing. They just read the scriptures distinctly, and then these fellows explained them. They gave them the understanding. They made the scriptures clear to them. And they were reading out of the law of the Lord, explaining to them the law of the Lord. Now, Nehemiah, who is the governor, Tershatha is the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites that taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat of the fat, drink the sweet, Send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So as they were reading the scriptures and as the scriptures were being explained, the people came under a godly conviction. For they realized how far they had failed in keeping the law of God. The word of God brought conviction to their hearts. And realizing their failure before God, they began to weep as the scriptures were being read. It's always a beautiful thing to see God's spirit working in the hearts of people. It's always a beautiful thing to see how the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword and is able to pierce between the soul and the spirit and really begin to cut deep. And that conviction just brings tears as people realize 
their failures. But they said, hey, don't weep, don't mourn. This is a day of rejoicing because we are renewing the covenant with God. It's a time of coming back to God. It's a time of restoration. And so go, eat the fat, drink the sweet. Give portions to those that have not prepared. For the joy of the Lord shall be your strength. Oh, what joy there is in the Lord, what joy there is of the Lord. And what strength there is in that joy. God has intended that your life be filled with joy. That's God's will for you. God wants you to have a life full of joy. Peter speaks about the joy that is unspeakable or indescribable and full of glory. Jesus said that your joy may be full, and he was talking always about this fullness of joy. What a misconception it is of God to think that God wants to lay heavy burdens on all of us to make us just, you know, have to grind through life and, and barely pull through. I just pray God will help me to make it to the bitter end, you know. <laughs> to endure. Well, God wants you to enjoy. And the command was to enjoy. The joy of the Lord shall be your strength. And oh, what joy there is in walking with Jesus. And so the Levites stilled all the people. They said, hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be grieved. And so all the people went their way to eat, to drink, and to send portions, and to make great merriment because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Oh, what a joy should fill your heart when you go from this place and you've understood the word of God. <laughs> you know, in the New Testament, it talks about where the gospel went and so forth, and it said, and there was great joy in all that city as the result of receiving the word of God, the result of receiving the gospel. Always it follows there is great joy. And so they went their way to just make their merriment and all because they had understood the words. And on the second day, there gathered together the chief fathers of all the people, the priests, the Levites, to Ezra the scribe to understand the words of the law. So the first day, it was a public meeting. All of the men and women, plus those that were able to understand, so children from junior high school perhaps on, those that were able to understand stood there for the reading and the explanation of the law of the Lord. Now on the second day, just the rulers had gathered together that they might be taught the law of God. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches, pine branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of thick trees to make booze as it is written. 
So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booze, everyone upon the roof of his house or in the courtyard or in the court of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come out of the captivity made booths, and they sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day the children of Israel had not been keeping this particular commandment. Now, this particular feast called Sukkoth, or the Feast of Tabernacles, which takes place in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, it was commanded in the law of Moses that during this particular feast, they were to make these booths and they were to move out of their houses and for a week live in these little booths that were made out of branches. Now, as they made these booths, they had to leave enough space in the walls, the thatched walls of palm branches or whatever. They'd leave enough space for the wind to come blowing through it, they'd leave enough space in the roof so that as they would lie there at night, they could see the stars. The purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles was to remind them how that God had preserved their fathers through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. That's why they were to make booze. Your fathers dwelt in tents for 40 years. Now you're living in the land that God promised. You're living in a house and all, and uh, it's, you know, your plastered houses and all this. So in order that you might really remember the hardships that your fathers endured, make these little booze, move out and live in them for a week. And uh, it'll remind them of God's preservation of their fathers through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and to give them a little taste of, of some of the inconveniences of uh, living in, in booths or in thatched huts or whatever. And it reminded them of, of the 40 years. Also, the feast was to commemorate the fact that God was faithful to his promise and he brought them into the land and gave them the land that he had promised to their father Abraham. So a twofold aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tents. Remember the tents that your fathers dwelt in as they were in the wilderness and how God preserved them. But then the faithfulness of God, he kept his promise, and after 40 years, he brought them into the land that had been promised under Abraham. During the time of Christ, they further celebrated this particular feast by a daily procession of the priest from the Temple Mount down to the Pool of Siloam, where the priest would fill these great water pots with water from the pool, and then would come again singing up the steps back to the Temple Mount. And as the people were all gathered worshiping there, the priest would pour these water jugs out onto the pavement and let the water just splash on the pavement. And that was a reminder to them of how that God provided water out of the rock in the wilderness for their fathers. And they would sing and worship God as the water was poured out on the pavement during the days of the Feast of the Tabernacles. They did that for seven days. The feast lasted for eight days. On the eighth day, 
There was no procession to the pool of Siloam. There was no pouring out of water. This was to commemorate the fact God brought us into the land, a land that is well watered, a land that we do not need a miraculous supply out of the rock, that we are now dwelling in the land that God had promised. And so the eighth day, no pouring of water, no processions, just as an acknowledgement that God had kept his covenant with Abraham, kept his word with their fathers, brought them into the land. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus was in Jerusalem on the last day, the great day of the feast, which was the Feast of Tabernacles. And he cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. This was the day that they didn't make the procession to the pool of Siloam. And uh, Jesus declaring himself as the rock from which the water of life flows. To the present day, many of the Orthodox Jews still build little booths beside their houses, and they'll move out and live in these booths for the seven-day period of the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Nehemiah on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Nehemiah 8 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and May his hand just rest upon your life in a very special way. And may your faith in God be increased. May the Lord help you to endure because you can see actually what others cannot see, that eternal plan and purpose of God. And may God bring you into harmony with his purposes for your life as you walk with him this way, in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I have a question for you. How would you like to go from Genesis to Revelation in one year using a daily Bible devotional? And what if this devotional was written by Pastor Chuck? Then I've got great news. Be one of the many thousands of readers who have enjoyed reading Wisdom for Today, a daily devotional that speaks volumes of wisdom to apply to your everyday life. 
Come alongside Pastor Chuck as he takes you on a journey from Genesis to Revelation, providing God's truth to answer your questions and discover how this might very well become your most beloved and cherished devotional ever. To order your copy of Wisdom for Today, a leather hardback, for yourself or for a loved one, please call The Word for Today at one 800 272-9673 or visit us online for more information and to read a preview at thewordfortoday.org.